Have you ever asked a lawyer to draw up a contract for you? Um, one of the things that you might notice is that there's sort of some standard language. There's a standard way of doing things. Is that fair, Dick? Boilerplate. Boilerplate. Yeah, boilerplate. Well, today we're going to be in Joshua 24, and as we turn there, I want to tell you the, about the boilerplate that is Joshua 24, but it's an interesting piece that we can study, an interesting document that we can study, something that God inspired for us to learn from. So turn in your Bibles to Joshua 24. I'm going to start by just reading verse 1 for you, and then I'll explain some structure things and show you the boilerplate going on underneath, and then we'll dig in and study it. So we're going to start here with Joshua 24, verse 1. Joshua 24, verse 1. Then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. He summoned the elders, leaders, judges, and officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. So here's the picture. We've been in Joshua now for 24 chapters. Probably actually for Joshua, it was more than 24 years, but thank goodness, right? We didn't spend 24 years going through Joshua. (laughs) But we've been in Joshua for 24 chapters, and now we've reached the end. The last bit, what are Joshua's last words to the people of Israel? And as we dig into that, what I want to tell you is, first of all, look where he takes Israel for his last words. He takes them to the city of Shechem. You may not remember, the word might be familiar, but you might not remember all the details of where Shechem was. So let me tell you a few things that had happened in the past at Shechem. Shechem was the place where Abraham Back in Genesis, Shechem was the place where Abraham first received the promise of the land of Canaan. Abraham was in Shechem when he received the promise of the land of Canaan. More than that, Shechem was the place where Jacob made a major commitment to God. If you remember back from the story, Jacob went and lived with his uncle Laban, acquired a number of wives with his uncle Laban, finally left Laban and headed back for his land. And along the way, they discovered that a few of his wives, had actually one of his wives in particular, had stolen some idols. Now, why she thought the need to steal idols, that tells us something about family life there. But he'd taken some idols, and Jacob discovers it, and he buries the idols in Shechem, making a commitment to God. Shechem was the place back in the book of Joshua Joshua 8 particularly, where Joshua first sort of renewed the covenant with the people when they first entered the land. Shechem was an important place. It had a broad history, and it was important to the people. And Joshua gives his final farewell at the place of Shechem. But more than just the place of Shechem, I want to tell you the structure of Joshua 24 is really, really cool. For those of you who are more into history. Not everyone is. I understand that. But for the history buffs out there, the, jo- the structure of Joshua 24 is what's called a suzerainty treaty. Okay, so that means a lot, right? <laughs> the major empire at the time that Joshua was being written was the Hittites. That was the major empire. They were up north, and the Hittites kind of ruled the roost. If you were doing something major, you did it the way the Hittites did it because they were your big players. And they had a boilerplate treaty. 
the way that they would form treaties with other countries. In their boilerplate treaty, they would start off with the preamble, who it is. They would talk about the history. They would then give a bunch of rules. And then there would be a ceremony of formal agreement. And that's actually exactly what we see in Joshua 24, is we see a boilerplate treaty made between God and his people. And that's Joshua chapter 24. So we're going to dig into this boilerplate treaty, and we're going to see that there are some important lessons that we can learn from the treaty that God makes with his people, more specifically, the agreement that his people make to serve him, the commitment. So the parties to the treaty are God and his people. And we're going to see that making a commitment to serve God is up to you. It's up to you. But you should realize it comes from a rich history. It's not to be taken lightly. It deserves memorialization. And it is completely worth passing down. Let's read Joshua 24, verses 2 through 13. Joshua said to all the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshiped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. I assigned the hill country of Seir to Esau, but Jacob and his family went down to Egypt. Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I afflicted the Egyptians by what I did there, and I brought you out. When I brought your people out of Egypt, you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued them with chariots and horsemen as far as the Red Sea. But they cried out to the Lord for help, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians." He brought the sea over them and covered them. You saw with your own eyes what I did to the Egyptians. Then you lived in the wilderness for a long time. I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived east of the Jordan. They fought against you, but I gave them into your hands. I destroyed them from you, and you took possession of their land. When Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, prepared to fight against Israel, he sent for Balaam son of Beor, to put a curse on you. But I would not listen to Balaam. So he blessed you again and again, and I delivered you out of his hand. Then you crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho. The citizens of Jericho fought against you, as did also the Amorites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hittites, Girgashites, Hivites, and Jebusites. But I gave them into your hands. I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove them out before you. Also, the two Amorite kings, you did not do it with your own sword and bow. So I gave you a land on which you did not toil, and cities you did not build, and you live in them, and eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. What I want you to see here in these first 13 verses is that commitment to serve God comes from a rich history. Commitment to serve God comes from a rich history. We need to recognize the history of God's redemption. The passage starts out by describing Abraham, called from across the Euphrates River, called 
a way called out of the dark and into the light of God's glory. God revealed himself to Abraham and blessed Abraham greatly. You may remember Abraham and Sarah had a problem. They had a promise of many descendants. They had a problem of zero descendants. Those things don't match. But God honored his promise, and Isaac was born. The text tells us that to Isaac were born Jacob and Esau. The text tells us that Jacob went down to Egypt. But God's promise continued because Jacob, his descendants, were brought out of Egypt in the Exodus. In verses 2 through 5, the emphasis is that you should never forget that God brought you out of the dark. Never forget that God brought you out of the dark, just as God brought Abraham from idolatry, from paganism. So God has brought each of us out of the dark. There's a phrase that we need to be careful of. Sometimes people say something like, well, I've been a Christian my whole life. No, that's not true. None of us have. I had the pleasure of uh, holding Esri on Friday, Esri Smith, Jessica and Richard's baby. I will tell you right now, Esri's not a Christian yet. She's not. She has not come to that point of understanding where she understands that she is a sinner. And as sinners, we are separated from God. But Jesus came and died on the cross. And we can put our complete faith and trust in Jesus' death on the cross. And at that moment where we place our complete faith and trust in Jesus' death on the cross, we are called out of the dark into the light. But until that moment, we're in the dark. Abraham was called out of the dark. So we are called out of the dark. And Joshua reminded the people, your commitment to God comes from a rich history. The first thing you need to remember is that there's nothing special about you. You were called out of the dark. Never forget, it's not anything we've done. It's God who calls us out of the dark. The second thing, though, that God reminds them of, that Joshua reminds them of, is God's provision on the journey. In verses 6 through 10, the text talks about the exodus from Egypt. And it's a quick summary of some of the battles that were fought, some of the people that opposed Israel. We live in a world that's always looking forward. Always looking forward. Uh, as I was sitting down and reading this text about two weeks ago, it was the same day that the new uh, iOS came out for the iPhones. And it was about 10 o'clock in the morning, so it was two hours before iOS came out. And I, I did an experiment. I went to macrumors.com just to see what the headline was. Take it, understand. New operating system, big deal, coming out in two hours. The headline on Mac Rumors was, October Apple event set to release new devices. We look so far forward that we don't even look at the present to see what's going on. We're constantly looking, what's next? What's next? Here Joshua says, don't forget God's provision along the journey. Don't get so caught up in the future that you forget how God is providing for you right now and in your past. We have to be careful as we look to the future that we never forget our past and how God has provided. 
So I wanted to take a minute and remind you of a few things. I'll start in the near past, and we'll go out a little bit. I was thinking about Easter this year, and I was thinking specifically of the Easter experience. As we had planned for about 50 people to show up and had 150 people show up, and God provided. In fact, that kicked off an amazing week. We had a wonderful time in Good Friday. We were full in Good Friday. Our Easter service was full. It was fantastic. Fast forward a couple of months to our Together We Grow event, where God blessed the church abundantly, not just with money, but with people whose hearts are dedicated to growing together. I'm reminded of how God blessed Emily and I. About a year ago, we began praying, how in the world, God, could we stay here because we don't want to leave? God blessed. God blessed our church by allowing our church to raise up a pastor from within. That's not something that many churches get to have. It's a thing that many churches wish to have. God's blessed. But it's not just in the past seven months. God blessed this church with a pastor, a stable pastor for 16 years. A pastor who was able to grow us as a congregation in maturity, in togetherness, in relationship. 16 years is unheard of in ministry. God has blessed time and time again. Let us never forget God's provision along the journey. As we look at the future, we cannot forget. In verses 11 through 13, Joshua reminds the people of the battles that they had won in the land of Canaan. The battle of Jericho. As the walls came tumbling down, Joshua reminds the people, never forget the victories that God has provided. Take a second and take inventory. How has God provided victories? Maybe it's victory in a sin. Maybe it's victory in a relationship. Maybe it's victory in any number of other areas. Never forget the victories God has provided. So let me give you an action step for today, for this this set of verses. I want you to sit and ask yourself, what do you need to remember from your history with God? Think through the history that you've had with God. Where do you need to remember how God has provided? Because I will warn you, I'm going to ask you to make a commitment here soon. So if you're going to make a commitment, root that in the history of the God who's faithfully been with you, faithfully walked with you. Let's move on to verses 14 through 24. Starting in verse 14, it says, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, 
far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. It was the Lord, our God himself, who brought us and our parents up out of Egypt from the land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who live in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been good to you. But the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we are witnesses, they replied. Now then, said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God and obey him. Commitment to God is not to be taken lightly. Commitment to God is not to be taken lightly. That's what's said here in verses 14 through 24. Having provided the historical background, the historical prologue, Joshua moves into the stipulations section of this treaty. And he gives sort of the consequences for disobedience. You see, in a suzerainty treaty, in a Hittite suzerainty treaty, you weren't allowed to hedge your bets. No. The suzerainty treaty said, it's all or nothing under the treaty. Don't hedge your bets. You don't get to make multiple treaties and figure out which one's going to work out for you the best. No, commitment is not to be taken lightly. So in verses 14 through 15, what God reminds the people of is that commitment demands the removal of distraction. Commitment, true commitment demands that we remove distractions. For Israel, that was idolatry. That was the biggest distraction that they faced. They lived in a land, in a culture, in a world where people worshipped objects. They had been carved to make to look like something. And so you might be thinking, well, the good news is I've got that one licked. Maybe on the surface you do. But do you really have the worship of objects licked? I wonder. You see, we need to remove distractions. And if that's materialism, get it out of there. If that's something else that's distracting you from serving God, from committing to God, get it out ruthlessly. Ruthlessly remove distraction. The people's response is quite positive. Uh, in fact, I love the way verse 18 wraps things together. The people say, and the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites, who lived in the land. Okay? And then it says, we too will serve the Lord because he is our God. Commitment demands personal ownership. Personal ownership of God. It's not enough 
to worship the God of your parents. He needs to be your God. So this is uh, for the younger in the congregation. I want to challenge you. Make God your God. Not your mom's God, not your dad's God. Make him your God. He is your God. Make it personal to you. Joshua, though, in a great deal of wisdom, is unsatisfied there uh, in verse 19 with just a burst of enthusiasm. You know, the people enthusiastically say, we will worship the Lord our God. In verse 19, Joshua says, you're not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. It's not that Joshua is saying it's impossible for you to serve God. What he's saying is be careful because commitment demands absolute certainty. Don't go out until you're ready to go out. Don't commit until you really understand. The title of this sermon is, It's Up to You. Ultimately, my question, my ask of you, is to commit to serving God. But do it with absolute certainty. Commit to serving God with absolute certainty. It's not something to be taken lightly. It's something to be taken for what it is. A commitment to the God of the universe, the Almighty Verses 23 through 24 tell us that commitment demands action. Commitment demands action. At the end of the service, I invite people, if you want to make a commitment to God, to come forward. Why do we do that? Is it so that it's a big show that I can feel like, oh yeah, my sermon touched people's hearts today? Absolutely not. It is so that you make that commitment public. You take action on that commitment so that others can hold you accountable. So that it's not just something that you keep internally and you say, "Ah, I sort of am committing to God. I don't want anyone to know because if I mess up, then they're going to know I messed up. No. Commitment to God takes action. I will invite you to step out. Let me give you an action step, though. Here's my question for you. I actually want you to circle one in your bulletin. What is your commitment to God? Are you uncommitted? Are you interested in committing, but not quite there yet? Are you marginally committed? I have a little bit of commitment to God, but if he asks me for much, the answer is no. Are you mostly committed? Or are you fully committed? There are two answers in here that scare me. Marginally committed, because that means you understand. And then the other one that scares me is fully committed, because we all have a lot of growing to do. I hope that you've marked one, though, that you can say, here's my level of commitment to God, and here's where I want to grow. We're going to do our scripture memory verse of the month. Our scripture memory verse of the month is Joshua 24, 15. And I'd like you to say it with me. Joshua 24, 15. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, 
whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Joshua 24, 15. That's my commitment. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. I hope you'll join me in that. We're going to keep reading, though, verses 25 through 28. So let's start here in verse 25. On that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people, and there at Shechem he reaffirmed for them the decrees and laws. And Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of the holy place of the Lord. See, he said to all the people, this stone will be a witness against us. It has heard all the words that the Lord has said to us. It will be a witness against you if you are untrue to your God. Then Joshua dismissed the people, each to their own inheritance. Commitment to serve God deserves memorialization. It is worth memorializing commitments to serve God. There's some things that are interesting in this passage. You see, the first thing that I see is it says that Joshua recorded these words in the book of the law. So here's an interesting fact. In Hittite suzerainty treaties, once you wrote out the treaty and signed it, you would place the treaty in the temple of whatever the god of the land was as a reminder that the Hittites have formed a treaty with these people. Joshua writes it down, writes down in the book of law. Here is the date that this commitment was made. Memorializing commitment to God should include a reminder of the commitment. We should memorialize it. I don't know if you have in your Bible the day that you were saved that you accepted Jesus as your Savior written down, I would recommend you do that. It's a commitment you made, or the day you were baptized. It's a commitment that you've made. Maybe it's a different commitment that you need to memorialize. Maybe it's a commitment to turn from a particular sin. Write the date down so that you can reflect back on it. This is a common thing that happens with alcoholics, actually. Alcoholics Anonymous will do something like this where people will talk about the number of days or the number of years they've been sober. Why? Because memorializing the commitment is a meaningful thing to do. So if you make a commitment to God, write it down. Remind yourself. Joshua goes a step further. He not just writes it down, but he also erects a stone pillar as a memorial. Actually, in Shechem today, archaeologists have uncovered a a large limestone pillar, um, most likely Joshua's commitment that we read about right here from the people is memorialized for us more than 3,000 years later. That's kind of cool. That's really cool. Commitments are worth memorializing. But then the other thing that I see here in verse 28 is the commitment And the memorialization of the commitment to God is just the beginning. Look what Joshua does. He sends them home. You've made this commitment to God. Now go live it. 
enjoy God's provision. Take great happiness in what God has provided. Joshua dismisses the people and says, go and live it. So let me give you an action step. Take a minute and evaluate your commitment to God. Do you need to write down a date, a place, or some other reminder? What commitments to God have you made? And if your answer is, I don't have any, well, guess what? Now's a great time to start making commitments to God. I'll make it even slightly stronger. One of the announcements Chris made was that we need help in Awana. Maybe the commitment that you're being called on to make is to serve in some unique capacity. Make that commitment today by talking with Sandy. Maybe it's to serve the church in some role. Make that commitment today by talking to myself or one of the deacons. What commitments do you need to make? Maybe the commitment that you need to make to God is to trust that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, a commitment of salvation. Make it today. Make today the day that you memorialize. Maybe the commitment is baptism. Come forward today and we will get it scheduled. Let's memorialize today as a day that we commit to God. Let's read verses 29 through 33 as we wrap out our points. Starting in verse 29. After these things, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at an age of 110. And they buried him in the land of his inheritance, at Timnath Serah, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaash. Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had experienced everything the Lord had done for Israel. And Joseph's bones, which the Israelites had brought up from Egypt, were buried at Shechem in the tract of land that Jacob bought for a hundred pieces of silver from the sons of Hamor the father of Shechem. This became the inheritance of Joseph's descendants. And Eleazar, son of Aaron, died and was buried at Gibeah, which had been allotted to his son Phinehas in the hill country of Ephraim. We talked a lot about commitments. I've talked a lot about commitments. I want to give you one final statement here coming out of verses 29 through 33. And that is that commitments to serve God are worth passing down. Commitment to serve God is worth passing down. The end of the book of Joshua brings a number of pieces together and gives us sort of a complete picture. All the way back in Genesis chapter 12. So you could flip back there. You could say that's a pretty good portion of your Bible. Um, it's just over 21% or so of your Bible. All the way back in Genesis chapter 12, God had told Abraham to leave and go to the land of Canaan. Now we have resolution because the people have inherited the full land of Canaan. Joshua's commitment, though, was contagious. I want you to recognize that your commitment to serve God will impact others. 
if you commit to serving God, it will have a profound impact. Joshua's impact was contagious. And Joshua received the greatest title one can receive. No greater title could be given to a man than servant of the Lord. Joshua became known as Joshua, the servant of the Lord. No greater honor than to be known as one who served God. And in verse 31, we learn that Joshua's service, his commitment was contagious because the people who outlived Joshua, the people who had known Joshua, who had had the opportunity to interact with Joshua, continued to serve the Lord. The people who knew Joshua caught Joshua's commitment. I love the way it ends, though, because it's not just Joshua, but rather we get a who's who of some of Israel's most committed followers. Back in Genesis chapter 50, verses 24 through 26, Joseph had told his family as Joseph was on his deathbed, he said, we are in Egypt right now, but one day God will fulfill his promise and take us to the promised land. And when that day happens, I want you to take my bones and bury me in the land of God's promise. Joseph's faith was incredible. And he's mentioned here because of his commitment. Eleazar, Aaron's son, Eleazar is written here, his death is recorded, to remind us that God keeps his promises for generations. For generations. Your commitment to serve God may impact generations to come. I can't help but think of the impact of some of the people who have served this church Decades in the past. Someone that has come up in many conversations is Wiley Nettleton and the impact that he had on people in this church for generations to come. I want to challenge you to commit to serving God because it will not just impact those around you now, but it will impact generations to come. If you want to have a mark on this world, commit to serving God. That's the way to leave your mark. So, let me give you your action step. Take a few minutes and consider how you might pass your commitment to serve on to future generations. How are you going to pass on the commitment to God that you've made? Again, if you've not made a commitment, now's a great time to do that. But I know many of you have. So my question is, what are you going to do to pass that on for future generations? Joshua 24 wraps up the book. And in some sense, it's this huge moment of potentiality. What's going to happen next? If you read on in Judges, you realize that the people started failing to make commitments and things went downhill. Let's determine 
to commit to serving God today. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for Joshua. I thank you for the commitment that Joshua made all the way back in Joshua 1 as he committed to be strong and courageous, to follow your commandments. We've studied this book for about five months. Joshua was faithful for decades. Father, I pray that you would work in our hearts, that we would make the commitments we need to make to you, that we would boldly take steps of faith and declare, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You might ask us to leave everything we know. You might ask us to leave some of what we know. You might leave us exactly where we're at. But I pray that our commitment would be to serve the Lord. Father, I pray for any out there who are contemplating commitments that they need to make to you. I pray that they would boldly step out, taking it seriously, not taking it lightly, but knowing that a commitment to you is worth it. In Jesus' name, amen.